Well, hello, everyone. Wow, we have more people than I thought. <laughs> Good to see you guys. So we're going to continue on in the Gospel of John today, and we're up to the end of chapter 14. So please turn there with me, and we'll begin with John 14 and verse 25. So would you please stand? This is God's holy word. Please give ear to it. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you, I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father. And the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This ends the reading of God's word. Have a seat, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you once again for your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Father, but we acknowledge today that my words would be ineffectual apart from the work of your Holy Spirit. So we pray now that your spirit, the one we will speak about today, Lord, that you would be at, at work in our hearts today, helping us to understand and believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So have, have you ever lost anyone who was close to you? Maybe someone who gave your life direction and purpose? Someone like uh, a grandparent or a parent or a close friend? You know, in such cases, obviously, it's normal to be troubled, to have our hearts troubled by, by that loss. And sometimes a person's death is imminent, imminent so they want to say goodbye. They want to leave you with some, some comfort. They want to tell you, assure you that it's going to be okay, that you will go on, that things will be okay without, the, without them. Now, my parents are still in good health, but every time I call home, I kind of get that vibe from my father because he's getting up there in his age and all of his friends are passing away. So he, he kind of, it seems like his attitude is he could pass away at any time too. So he's trying to lead, lead me towards the future of him leaving, going to heaven. 
I get this feeling. Um, we think about, there's been this big talk on the internet about Kim Jong-un. We thought he might have died, right? And it seems like they haven't really prepared <laughs> what, uh, you know, for passing on. What, what happens? I think they're, they're guessing that the country could kind of go nuts if he passes away. That, you know, the power being passed on, how would it be passed on? Well, in today's text, the Lord Jesus is about to go to his death. And so he leaves, he wants to leave some words of comfort. He wants to, his, his disciples to know that it's going to be all right. That he's not going to leave them alone. And that he's in control. And there's a plan. So, what comfort does he offer the troubled hearts of his disciples? They were troubled hearing him talk about that he was about to leave them. What hope does he offer them? What comfort? What comfort can we, can we derive today? What, what comfort does Christ offer us today as his people? This is what we want to see in today's text. Though Christ has left his ministry is now present in other ways, even more powerfully. And we see this um, in three points here. In verses 25 to 26, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. In verses 27 to 29, he talks about his peace. He promises to leave his peace with his disciples. And lastly, in verses 30 to 31, he says that he comforts them with the idea that he uh, has authority over the world. So first of all, verse 25, look again at verse 25. Though Christ has left, his ministry is now present through the Spirit. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we can think about the disciples sitting there hearing this, hearing the Lord say that he's about to leave them. And they're confused, they're troubled, they're worried. I'm sure we can all relate to that how they felt. So Jesus makes his promise to them. He talks about one that is to be sent, right? He says, he calls him the helper. And you might have heard this word that it's used here in, in the Greek language is uh, paraclete. So this is translated in various ways. I think um, counselor is a common way or advocate as you look at the different translations, there are many different words that are used there. But in our ESV, it uses the word helper. And they did need help, didn't they? And we need help. We're helpless apart from God's help. And, and notice, um, we can look at the language that's used here, and there's been a lot of debate in the history of the church. Um, it says, whom the Father will send in my name. Now, if we look at other verses, and especially in the Gospel of John, 
such as uh, John's, a little bit later, John 16, verse 7, Jesus says, I will send him, I will send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. Um, when we say the creed, you notice uh, there was a huge debate in the church, the history of the church. Should we say the Holy Spirit uh, proceeds from only the Father or from the Father and the Son? And so the Western church said, and the Son. Right? And we can see why, um, because Jesus says that he does send the Spirit. right? But the Eastern church said, no, only from the Holy Spirit is sent only from, proceeds only from the Father. And so they actually use this as an excuse to kind of separate into schism, sadly. But I think we can see from reading all of the Gospel of John that, yeah, the Holy Spirit does, in fact, come from the Father and the Son. And that's why Jesus says here, he sends him in my name. And we also see this from what Jesus, how he describes the work of the Holy Spirit, as we'll get to that in a, in a minute. But what does he say that this helper, the Holy Spirit, will do? How is he going to help? He's a teacher, right? He says, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, it's, you hear people joke and say that uh, reformed people don't believe all means all, right? And you can see here another example of this in the Bible because all things. Does the Holy Spirit teach you how to um, make a race car? Does the Holy Spirit teach you uh, the mysteries of physics and all these theories that scientists know? No, but he says all the things that the Lord Jesus uh, talked about because the disciples, they must have been thinking, how, how are we going to go on from here without Christ? How are we going to remember what he said? How, how are we going to understand what he was talking about? Because we don't understand half of what he was talking about. Right? Jesus speaking in parables. Can you imagine being one of the disciples? And so Jesus offers them this comfort. You see, you guys don't have to figure it out on your own because I'm sending you a helper. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to help you understand. And he's going to help you remember. And it's going to be passed down. So this is very, very important. Without the Holy Spirit... The church couldn't exist. We'd be lost. But I want you to notice the Holy Spirit here, he doesn't do something different, substantially different than Jesus talked about, right? The work of the Spirit and the work of Christ are linked together. And that's why the Apostle Paul, he refers to the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of Christ, Sometimes you hear people say, um, you know, those Reformed people believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible, <laughs> right? Because they say, oh, you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Yes, we believe in the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit's work, what the Holy Spirit reveals to us is not different than what the Scriptures teach. It's one and the same. The Holy Spirit's work is to help us understand and apply and, and believe the truths of the scriptures. 
what Jesus taught. We can't divide the Holy Spirit from Christ. They're unified in their being and in their mission of salvation. So these apostles, remember who they were. These were not educated folks, right? They hadn't gone to seminary, and they're just average people, like fishermen. So how amazing that they produce this New Testament. Obviously, it's miraculous. It's not something they could have done on their own. It's interesting to read, even if you learn a little Greek and and read the New Testament, how it's very simple language for most of it, and yet so very powerful and beautiful. You can see the stamp of God, the Holy Spirit, his working, the helper was there and guiding them, every, every bit of it, so that it is passed down to us without error. It's wonderful. So we need to also learn this, this uh, lesson. It's not just for the apostles, but for us, for our understanding. Because a lot of us are struggling. I feel that I see a lot, especially young, young men, <laughs> but um, a lot of people are struggling and trying to understand the truth by their own power, by their own intellect, by their own reasoning skills, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. And even a lot of people who will tell you, yes, I believe, I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe it, I need the Holy Spirit to understand. And yet, I think practically a lot of times we become so burdened with trying to reason everything out and figure it out by our own power of think of thinking it's uh it's a problem we have to trust in god we have to trust in the holy spirit at every level and we have to trust that the holy spirit will help us to understand and help us to believe the truth and know the truth and jesus he's going to pray about this a little later in this uh, upper room discourse, we call it here, before he goes to the cross. This is one of his main prayers for the church that will be led into the truth. So we need to trust God in that. And Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about the work of the Spirit in this way. It's a prayer that the Apostle Paul is praying, and I hope we would pray this way as well. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might? See, this, this is a wonderful work of the Holy Spirit. It talks about enlightening our hearts, that we may know the hope and the riches of this inheritance. So 
Part of that inheritance is the Holy Spirit that the Lord has sent us. And he's here now. He's present among us now. He's helping us now. We need to remember that and be thankful for that. We know that the world around us is kind of lost in the struggle, trying to understand, grasping at the truth blindly. And you see many people out there studying many different religions, many different philosophies, and they're just they're lost in the darkness. But they're struggling, they're trying to find the truth. And yet they can't apart from the Holy Spirit. They need the helper. So let us pray for them. Whenever we share the gospel with people, we need to pray that the Holy Spirit to show them the way, to help them understand. Okay, our second point is about peace. So though Christ has left, his ministry is now present powerfully by his peace. Look at verse 27 again. It says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So we can imagine, again, that as Jesus is about to leave them, they're in a state not of peace, but quite the opposite of unrest in their hearts. And we, can, we know that the world around us as well is in a world of unrest and worry and doubt. Right? We can see this especially during this, um, this pandemic going around. People are freaked out. The opposite of peace is often fear. And the world is afraid. And they can see the judgment of God in, in things like this disease. They can see it. It's pointing towards the truth. And it's in that context that the Lord Jesus is offering a way out of that unrest, a way out of that fear. He's offering us peace. If we trust in him, we believe in him. We know that um, it is peace that casts out the trouble and the fear of the world. And this peace is talked about in Romans. It's one of the great blessings of justification, being declare, declared righteous. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, we struggle with peace because of sin, right? This world struggles with peace because of sin. It is sin that had to be dealt with in order for there to be peace, true peace. Jesus here, he, he talks about, he says his peace that he gives is not like the world gives. How does the world give peace? The world gives a kind of false peace. 
a vain assurance. And I, I hear people say it all the time, you know, oh, everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. Right? We, don't you hear unbelievers say that kind of thing all the time? But I always want to ask them, on what basis? Why would you think that? Because apart from Christ, there's no reason to think everything's going to be all right. No. Why are you saying that? This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, my peace is not like the world gives peace. But it's based in fact. It's based in the fact that he is dealing with the cause of the unrest. That he's doing away with sin. He's about to go to the cross. And he's going to take sin upon himself. He's going to take the punishment for sin. And he's going to create peace. A peace that does not end. An everlasting peace. This is the peace that Christ offers us. Not like the world offers us. The, the peace that the world offers comes to an end quickly. It's like putting a band-aid on a gaping wound. But Jesus offers us lasting peace. this section here, in verses 28 and following, it gets kind of complicated. It's hard to see the relationship of the ideas here a bit. So the disciples were troubled that Jesus was leaving. He offers them peace. And he's saying, it's, this peace is not diminished by my leaving. Why? He says, instead, you should have rejoiced. You should, have, you should rejoice that I'm leaving. Why? Where is he going to? He says he's going to be with his father. He's going to be with his father. He makes this very mysterious statement that the father is greater than he. Now, I think about, uh, I've been to a lot of bachelor parties, stag parties, uh, over the last few years. Maybe not a lot, but a few. <laughs> and uh, there's a certain sadness that your friend is getting married, right? Because you're not going to see them as much. <laughs> their, their wife is probably not going to let them out as much as you would like, right? And... But, so, should you be sad that your friend is getting married? Well, no, of course not. They're there to celebrate. Why? Because, you know, they're entering into a blessed union, a step up, right? A better, a better existence, so to speak. And I think that's the idea that Jesus is getting at here. He's saying, I am going to be in a much greater place. So you should rejoice that I'm going to be with the Father. I'm going to be united with the Father and have the blessed union with the Father. But this, this verse, this, you could say this is the heretic's favorite verse because Jesus says, he seems to say 
Well, he does say, right, that the Father is greater, greater than him. What in the world does that mean? Our uh, Jehovah's Witness neighbors and more, who else, uh, Muslim neighbors, they will use this verse very commonly to argue against the deity of Christ, right? So what's, what is, what, why does Jesus say this? What's he getting at? We know that elsewhere, the Bible does clearly teach the equality of the Father and the Son. Uh, if you look back in the Gospel of John, it says, uh, The Jews sought to kill him because he called God his own Father, making himself equal with God. And we could look at a lot of other passages as, as well that teach that the Son is equal to the Father. So what does Jesus mean by saying that the Father is greater than he here in this passage? But I was reading the commentary from uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, 13th century, and I think he gives the, the best take on it. So let, me just, uh, let me just read a little section from that. He says, Now the Son does not go to the Father insofar as he is the Son of God, for as the Son of God he was with the Father from eternity. That's the key idea we want to understand here. And he quotes uh, the beginning of the Gospel of John, right? John 1.1, 1, 1. he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, right? So when we think about Jesus Christ, we know that he is fully God on the one hand, and he is also fully man, right? Both. Not 50-50, but 100% and 100%, right? So when you think about the deity of Christ, his eternal being, he's been with the Father. The Father and Son, you cannot actually tear apart the Trinity, right? That's God cannot change. Um, God is unchanging. So the Father and the Son are eternally united. Right? So keep that in mind. And I'll read on here. It says, Rather, he is said to go to the Father because of his hu human nature. Thus, when he says, The Father is greater than I, he does not mean as Son of God, but as Son of Man. For in this way, he is not only inferior to the Father and the Holy Spirit, but even to the angels. You understand what he's saying there? That he has to be talking about his human nature. Right? Um, Christ as a man is going to the Father because as God, he's been with the Father for eternity. And so he's talking about his ascension as a man. His ascension to the right hand of God the Father that we read about later in Acts. Right. So he says, again, in some things he was subject to human beings as his parents. So Jesus, even as a human being, he was even uh, subject to his parents because he was, he was a child, right? He was born uh, to Joseph and Mary. Mary had to obey them. But in terms of his divinity, in terms of his godhood, he's not lesser than the Father. So Jesus here is talking about his, he's lesser in terms of his, of his 
human nature. So let's look at the, the ending of this passage. And verse 30 says, um, So though Christ has left, his ministry is now present even more powerfully over the world. Verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Jesus reminds the disciples that this, this fallen world, that Satan, that's what he's talking about here, right? Satan is the ruler of this fallen world. You know, remember what Jesus says elsewhere in the gospel, that those who sin are slaves to sin. He tells the Pharisees that their father is the devil, right? So, as sinners, as those fallen in Adam, as those who listen to the lies of the devil, they're ruled over by the devil. And that's what he's referring to here. But he comforts the disciples in, sin, in saying that he is not like this world because he's of another world. He's from above. And that means he's, he's never sinned. He's sinless. He's perfect. And therefore, the devil has no claim, has no claim over him whatsoever. You see, if Satan had claim over Christ, if Christ was not sinlessly perfect, he could not have saved us on the cross. But he's comforting his disciples here and he's saying, Satan has no claim over me. And that's how he moves on to the next thing, talking about the commands of his father, right? He says, Satan has no claim over me because I'm obedient. I'm obedient to the commands of my Father. So this obedience, he's really pointing especially to the cross he's about to go to. He's saying, I'm going to go to the cross out of obedience to my Father. And the purpose in doing so, and what he's going to accomplish, is the world is going to know something. The world is going to know that I love the Father. That's how they know. They look at the cross and they say, Jesus, not only does he love his people, the church, but he loves his Father. It's very important. Notice how the Bible puts together love and obedience. Obeying God's commands and love puts them together very closely. Um, the Apostle John, in his, in his first epistle, he says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. So you cannot separate love and obedience to God. They go hand in hand. And we can see that in Jesus, that his love for God is perfect because his obedience towards the Father is perfect. And I think about, you know, children. We're children of God, but when, you, when you're a child and you look at your parents and you see how much your father 
loves your mother, your mother loves your father. That is, that gives you great strength. That encourages you. Maybe you say gross when they kiss or something, but, but deep down, the children, that, that's so helpful to the children to know that their parents love one another, right? It gives them strength to know that the, the family is strong. And I think that's a little bit of what, how Jesus is trying to reassure his di- disciples here and us. That his love is so strong for the Father that that means he can't, he can't break the promise that he has with his Father and that the Father, uh, that he's going to save his people because he loves them, but also because he loves and obeys his Father, and his Father has sent him on this mission. See, the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they all are not doing something separate here. They're all working together. They're all unified in this mission of salvation. The church, as we've seen, as the Lord Jesus was about to leave his disciples, and as he has left us and he's in heaven today, he does not leave us alone. He hasn't left us on our own to fend for ourselves, to try to figure it out by our own strength and our own power. But rather, his going away ushered in great blessings. His ministry is continued through the work of the Holy Spirit. And when you think about it, the Lord Jesus could only, you know, in his human, in his humanity, can only really talk to a, a limited number of people at once. But through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Look at how he is working throughout the, the earth. Millions of people coming to him, coming to faith. So with this comfort that Christ has offered us, let's ask you, are, are, you, living, are you living in accordance with this truth? Are you enjoying this comfort that Christ has offered? So look at yourself. Is your heart troubled by trusting in your own reasoning? Or are, you, or are you instead resting in the Holy Spirit's work of enlightenment to help us understand, to help us to know the truth, to lead us and guide us, give us wisdom? Are you seeking the faulty peace of the, this world offers? Or, or are you instead resting in the peace that Christ has given us. And finally, are you troubled by the ruler of this world, of Satan? Or do you understand that the Lord Jesus is now, that Satan has no claim over him, and that Jesus is now ruling because of his obedience to the Father, because of his love for the Father? So in closing, hear this exhortation from Matthew 6, Jesus said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Would you join me in prayer? Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this promise that the Lord Jesus has given us, this comfort that we can live at peace, that we don't that we don't have to live with the unrest of the world in our hearts. Lord, that your Holy Spirit, the Helper, is indeed at work amongst us even now, even today, helping us to understand, to believe, and to obey you. Lord, we pray that we would experience an even greater understanding of that. Father, bless this church, and may we trust in the work of your Spirit in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.